Hi, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel, with my wife, Rachel Gilbert. Did you know that God has a unique call on your life? But things like fear, insecurities, and lies keep us from experiencing God's best. This podcast will consist of real talk about real life with real people. We pray that every episode brings you one step closer to your original design so you can confidently pursue your God-given dreams. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new year and a new episode of Real Talk with Rachel. I am your host, Rachel Gilbert, and today our special guest is just in time for all your New Year's resolutions of getting your home in order. My friend, Dana K. White of A Slob Comes Clean, gets real about her own struggles and gives a ton of practical advice on decluttering your home. I ask every guest who comes on this show, what does real talk mean to you? And I love Dana's answer so much, I wanted to read it to you. She says, to me, real talk means to stop saying the things you assume others are thinking or experiencing and start sharing what you're actually experiencing. Not that this is easy at all, but when I started sharing my shameful secret online in 09, I did it anonymously out of fear, assuming no one else had ever had these thoughts or messy spaces. But by being honest, I made actual progress in my home for the first time and also learned that I was far from alone in my struggles. And those two things work together to make my progress sustainable. I find that women are willing to be honest to a point about their dislike of cleaning, but stop short of sharing the pain and frustration it can cause when clutter struggles affect identity. So you're going to love Dana. Let's go ahead and jump right into this conversation I had with her. Hey, Dana, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am doing great. I'm gearing up for all the fun things Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to get all of my work done so that then I can enjoy Christmas because my busy season for my work starts the evening of December 26th. So um, I'm trying to get all the crazy stuff done so I can then relax. (laughs) Yeah. So you're kind of like the people who are in the diet and health industry. You're that for the home, right? Exactly. I mean, really, it, it's very true. It's funny to me, the first year that I was blogging, I um, I was like, oh, I'm getting more traffic. I have no, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And the next year I went, oh, people like, it's crazy to me how it's actually like the evening of Christmas day. I think people like bring all this new stuff into their home. And then the, it's kind of that letdown of, you know, and people who are actually at home are like, okay, I'm ready to change things around here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they have that week. A lot of people have that week off from work and, you know, things are out of the routine and stuff. So yeah, it's decluttering mania. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how you got started online with your undercover name. And actually I should have you officially introduce yourself for people who don't know who you are. Well, I'm Dana K. White. I put the K in there in case you know who Dana White is. That's not me. Um, (laughs) It's the man who runs the UFC, the ultimate fighting championship. That's not me. Uh, So I put the K in there, but yeah, I originally started actually as Noni and that's short for anonymous because what I write about, which is decluttering and cleaning and, you know, keeping the house under control and getting it under control is like the actual very last thing that I would ever have written about because that was my biggest I mean, that's, that's my weakness. You know, that's my, my biggest struggle. So I wanted to write. And when I discovered blogs back in 2008, I was like, I've got to do this. Like I have to have a blog. Um, cause it just made sense. You know, if you're wanting to be a writer, 
but I, I didn't start it until 2009 because I was trying to get my house under control first. Like that was my thing keeping me from um, having a blog because I didn't want to have something else to distract me from this disaster that I was trying to get under control that I'd really struggled with my whole life. But, you know, I wanted to write about motherhood and I thought if I write about motherhood, but then somebody found out what my house looked like, you know, I didn't want them to throw away everything I'd written. You know, I, I couldn't handle the thought of like having to hide this really huge part of me. And it just, it didn't seem to go together. You know, like I love motherhood. I loved my family and yet I could not keep my house under control. So anyway, I started my blog, A Slob Comes Clean anonymously in 09, specifically to get my house under control. Like it was going to be my practice blog. Uh, I mean, it was very clear that this was, you know, God's idea. And I thought, well, okay, that's, that's a great idea, God. And I'll do that. And I'll maybe what, couple of months, get my house under control, and then I'll start my real blog. So obviously, we're nine years, almost 10 years later, and I'm still writing about the same thing. But you know, that that was uh, basically how it all started was just my desperate attempt to get my own home under control. I love how God works. And I love that you even said that you wanted to get your house under control, because you that was what held you back from writing. And then this ended up being what you wrote about. Isn't that how God works? Just those little baby st- steps of faith that he asked us to do that turn into something so much more than we could have ever done on our own. <laughs> I'm so glad that this is what I write about. But it was a huge process. I mean, it took me probably the first, it was about three to four years in of me wrestling and saying, this can't be the thing that you have for me, God, like, are you (laughs) kidding me? Like, like this can't be it. Like, why would this, why would anyone ever want to hear cleaning and organizing stuff from me? You know, I'm like, why, why would you do this? Why can't I write about something I actually feel confident in? And, you know, God was just, he just kept coming back to it. And he's like, this was my plan all along. You know, thank you for being obedient. Now continue to be obedient and realize that this is actually what I have for you. And ultimately, I'm so incredibly thankful because I I know authenticity is kind of a buzzword now, but I can't pretend <laughs> like it's not in me. You know, mm-hmm. And so that was why I couldn't write because I was like, I can't write and hide this part, you know, but God's like, it's okay. You can be open about these things that I had hidden from, you know, anybody that I could hide it from. So yeah, I mean, there's just, there's such freedom in just being honest and being able to tackle something head on and not having to, you know, pretend that you have things together when you don't. I also love that he, you know, you mentioned that why would somebody listen to me? Because this is, I'm not the expert in this. And that is, again, that's really a big part of my story. And I find that with a lot of people in the area that God uses them is we are not the most likely to succeed in that area. And I feel like that's almost why he chooses us for that, because now I can't take the glory for the things that are coming out of my mouth. You know, it's like, I don't know. These were just total God ideas. I didn't have a, I don't have a degree backing this up or whatever it may be. But um, so he just opened that door. I love that. I have to tell you one funny thing about you saying the thing about having your K in your name. Uh, Yesterday, I was, you know, just coming up with some questions to ask you. And my seven-year-old son was sitting next to me. And we were looking at your book. And I was like, what questions should I ask her, bub? And he goes, ask her what the K stands for. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, it's oh for Catherine. My. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, all right, yeah. I, I will ask her. So it's for Catherine, but I love that your backstory on why the K is there too. Um, so what is, and actually a few of the questions I'm going to ask you today, I always ask on Instagram, anybody who wants to sh- have any questions they want to submit, they can. And a good one I got that somebody asked was, what's the, your definition of decluttering? My definition of decluttering is getting stuff out of your house, period. However that happens, whatever stuff that you don't need in your house, getting it out of the house. And I think that that sounds extra simple, except that a lot of times what I was doing before I really focused on this and what I find a lot of people do is stuff shifting, meaning moving things from one area of the house to another, as opposed to actually getting it out. And the only time you're going to see actual real progress in your home and the benefits that you're wanting from decluttering. The only time you're going to see that is when you actually get things out. And so that is an important distinction to realize, you know, it's not decluttering unless it actually leaves. That's so good because I'm definitely guilty of just shifting things around to the different rooms. So what was your the first or biggest hurdle that you personally had to jump over to begin that decluttering of your home that you talked about earlier? Well, I just assumed, as most people do, that I needed to get organized. So I would look around my house. I would be frustrated with how things were. I would be frustrated with how, you know, my house was functioning. And I would think, oh, my goodness, I've got, you know, piles of things here. I've got a closet that I'm scared to open or whatever. And I would think I have got to get organized. And because I was in such a rock bottom place and because I had started this blog called A Slob Comes Clean, which means I had called myself the one word I had never been willing to call myself before. You know, I mean, that's a horrible word, right? So because I was anonymous, nobody knew I was doing this. I had nothing to hide and no more pretending to do. And I was just like, I've got to just do this. And so I thought, okay, I'm too overwhelmed to even get organized. I'm just going to declutter. And that was what actually made me start making progress. So I think it's really important to distinguish, you know, the difference between organizing and decluttering. They're not the same thing. Organizing is problem solving. Problem solving can be very overwhelming. Problem solving usually for people like me, especially involves like sitting down and coming up with a plan or buying new stuff that's going to make this solve all my problems. Where in reality, I just needed to get stuff out. So I think that being willing to say organizing is not my goal. I'm just going to declutter that right there was, you know, it was a huge step for me. And it's what actually got me making real progress in my home. Cause the thing is, once I started getting stuff out of my house, then I was achieving the same goals I had wanted to achieve through organizing, meaning I could get to the things I needed to get to. Um, I didn't have, you know, the piles of stuff, all that kind of stuff. And it was so much easier and worked better with my brain type to just go ahead and declutter instead of worrying about, you know, buying more bins and stuffing things in different places and all that kind of stuff. I love that distinction between organizing and decluttering because I have had that exact feeling of, oh, great. Well, now that means I've got to go to the store and I've got to get bins and it turns into this completely all day thing that then you just quit before you even start. Right. I mean, you know, the exciting fun part is the shopping, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's the going and the seeing, oh, this is what could be. And so then you buy all that stuff. And by the time I get home, 
I drop those things at the back door because I'm like, well, all that energy that I had when I was going to get organized for once and for all, all that's gone, you know, cause I used up all that energy at the store and then that's just more clutter in my house and I haven't actually made any progress. And every time I would fail, I would think, okay, well, what's something's wrong with me. I can't do this. And so that made it that much harder to try to get started the next time. Yeah. I completely can relate to that. So I love how you shared, you know, obviously my, this podcast is Real Talk with Rachel. I love how you shared that you let other people into your struggle. How did that help you just to overcome what you had going on in your own household by letting other people in and just being real and honest about what was going on? Well, I always have to be clear, and I know I've said this already, but you know, it was anonymous in the beginning. So I wasn't telling anybody in my real life because I was scared to death to let anybody know how bad it really was. But because it was online, it's this crazy online world that we live in now. You know, I just assumed that this was just a practice blog. And if anybody ever found it, they were going to basically validate that I'm a horrible person. How could any mother, you know, (laughs) let this clutter get to this degree or whatever, you know, I mean, I just assumed it was going to be hateful things that people would say about this, you know, the struggle that I had. And instead, as people started to find the blog, you know, I mean, I didn't get a rude comment for probably several years. I mean, people instead were like, Oh my goodness, this is exactly what goes through my head. These are exactly the struggles that, that I have. And so as that started to happen, you know, it was so huge for me to realize I was not the only one. Mm-hmm. Like I truly had believed that no one else struggled. I mean, I knew that there were hoarders, you know, and I wasn't to that degree, but I always felt like I could get there. You know, if something was to happen, that would probably be, you know, what would end up happening to me. So, I mean, it's not like I didn't, but as far as like what actually went through my head and seriously, why do I, you know, how is this like this or whatever? all those things, I just, it's a very isolating issue. And so it was such a shock to me that other people had that same struggle and related to what I was saying. But it also, you know, as that started to happen, this was in 09. And so, you know, back then I was on blogger and most people were, um, which was like a early, you know, blogging platform. And if somebody commented on your blog, you know, a lot of times you could click on their profile and they would like talk about themselves or whatever. So anytime somebody would leave a comment and say that they related to what I was doing, I was, you know, cause I wanted to know what I could about them. And I started to see that the people who were saying that they related to my struggles were highly creative people, mm. you know, and they were intelligent people, which was always a weird thing to me. Cause I'm like, I am an intelligent person. You know I mean? I did great in school and all that, you know, I'm like, so why is this so hard for me? You know? And that always made me feel like what something's really wrong, you know? And instead these were very intelligent, highly creative people. And I started to see that that was a common thread. And I realized, okay, this is how my brain works. You know, like I was a theater arts teacher, so I am in my zone when I'm doing something super creative, big project oriented, but the day to day inside my house was just like mind boggling to me. You know, that's why it's a lot of times people would meet me or would, you know, I would mention something about struggling in my house and they're like, well, you seem so organized. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) I'm organized when it's people and that kind of stuff, but I'm not organized in the day to day little stuff. And so realizing that I wasn't alone and that the common thread was creativity helped me accept who I am and not say, okay, well then that's just how I am. What can I do about it? But instead say, okay, so this is part of how my brain works. This is part of how God made me. I love the creative part that he made me, but the other side of that 
is this, you know, struggle with the day-to-day mundane, you know, dishes and laundry and all that kind of stuff. So if I realize this is part of who I am, then I just have to find out what can I do that does work for me? And it made me see that, you know, traditional organizing advice is written by people whose brains are very different from mine. And so I don't need to feel like a failure when traditional organizing advice doesn't work for me. I just have to find out what does work for me, you know? So that was huge. Just finding that I wasn't alone and through that, figuring out that this is how my brain works. Let me finally, you know, not feel like a failure anymore and figure out, okay, how can we move ahead? I love that. I heard you say more than once in there that whenever you started to write about this, even though you were doing it anonymously, you discovered that you weren't alone. And I think that's so powerful for us to remember no matter the topic we're talking about. And again, it's the heart behind this podcast of some of these topics that we talk about. That is the recurring theme that I hear over and over is, oh my goodness, I thought I was alone on this and that whole isolation thing. And so you really brought us beautifully into the next question that I had for you. And it's that, how do you see these clutter struggles affecting identity in women? You know, I, I, I think it's interesting that you said women. And I know that we're, you know, focusing on women here. And I focus on women in what I do because everything I write is from my perspective. I mean, I just actually experiment with it in my own home and these are my own struggles and these are my thoughts and I'm a woman. So it all comes from that perspective. And I've had some people, you know, I I do have quite a few male readers and listeners and I occasionally have had somebody say, you know, why do you focus only on women? Why can't you, you know, be more inclusive and, you know, just say all people. And I'm like, you know, the reason why is because for good or bad or societal or whatever, I don't know, this issue is an identity issue for women. Mm-hmm. Like we just assume because the the facts are right or wrong, that it's generally the woman who keeps the house um, looking the way that she wants to. It's the woman who decorates generally, not always, you know, we have to make those clarifications, but it's true. You know? mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, that being the ideal of, okay, a grown up woman can handle this. And so it becomes an identity issue when I'm like, okay, I'm a grown up woman, or I feel like I'm supposed to be a grown up woman and I can't handle this. What's wrong with me? And so it's an identity issue where what I have observed, and this isn't always the case, but what I've observed with men is a lot of men are much more easily able to laugh it off. I mean, you know, people just assume that a man is a slob, you know, I mean, not all men are, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's most women's come Oh, my husband's such a slob or whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm the one this is supposed to be easy for. And yet I'm the one struggling with this. Like, wait, what's wrong here? And I think that's, that's where it comes in is you just kind of associate a woman is supposed to be good at this kind of stuff. And when I'm not, then that's where the identity issue comes in. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly why I asked you because yes, primarily the listeners here are women, but I completely see that. And here's what's interesting. Um, part of my story that I don't know if I've ever really shared with anybody is that me and my husband are flipped in that I was the one who I used to be. <laughs> I'm a recovering slob, if you will. That's where I would like to go. And he is quite opposite. He's actually used to be in the military. And so he's one of those that if we get home at 3 a.m. from a, a road trip, he'll unpack his bag right then. He'll He'll put everything away like he can't stand anything being out. And so I always felt that's why whenever I found first found you and your stuff, I was like, oh, my goodness, like, um, you know, someone who who gets this because I'm that same way. I have that creative mind. And, you know, so that was always just a thing that 
used to hang over me and my identity as well. So that's why I was curious in your years of working with different women, if you've seen that recurring thread. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. With it being a new year, I want to tell you about a company I love called Cultivate What Matters. I've shared about their Write the Word journals, which I love, but today I want to tell you about their power sheets. You can uncover intentional goals and live them out with the Power Sheets One Year Intentional Goal Planner. 12 months of intentional goal setting worksheets to help you make your goals a reality. And just a few highlights of this goal planner are their signature Power Sheets prep process to uncover the right goals for your season of life, trusted goal coaching on every page so you stay motivated and on track, exclusive seasonal worksheets to refresh and refocus your goals each season, exclusive access to a free library of downloadable wildcard pages to help you customize your goals, including a meal planner, finance tracker, and so much more, and 183-page workbook with January 2019 start date, plus inspiring design, a full page of signature goal-setting stickers, and so much more. I have mine, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And for January only, my listeners get 10% off one order using code real talk rachel that's spelled real talk and rachel is r-a-c-h-a-e-l make sure to click the link in today's show notes to take advantage of that special one-time offer and make 2019 a year of intention Um, Okay, so let's move on to some fun, practical type things, because we are starting to run out of time. Um, What are just some very practical tips that someone could implement right now to begin decluttering their home? Well, first of all, just to remember that the goal is just to declutter. So there's like no reason to sit down and think. Yeah. like you would with organizing. My recommendation is to start with the easiest of the easy stuff. And that is the trash, you know, so grab a black trash bag it needs to be black. So the people in your house can't see what you're putting inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just start throwing away trash, you know, so find the, the visible space in your home, like the most visible, this is what people would see when they come in the front door or whatever door people come in, you know, unexpected guests or whatever, and just start throwing away trash because the goal is to make visible progress. Like my whole everything is I have to focus on visible progress because I am an out of sight, out of mind person. I'm also somebody who stops seeing the mess. You know, I have what I call slob vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, as I, you know, focus on visible spaces first, then even though I didn't see it when it was cluttered, now that it's decluttered, I go, Oh, that looks so good. And it inspires me to keep going and actually perpetuates my decluttering energy as opposed to sucking it away by spending my whole day working in the master bedroom closet and then the front door rings and I'm still afraid to open the front door, you know? Mm. So working on the easy stuff first, getting the trash out of there and then doing, I, I call anything easy is, you know, something that has an established home somewhere else in the house. It's just not there for whatever reason, you know, go ahead and take those things to their place because then you're going to reduce the overall volume of the mess in whatever space that you're working in. And as you do that, then you're going to, um, you know, first of all, you can step away at any moment and it's better off than it was before, but you also are going to, um, you know, be a little bit less overwhelmed all the time as you continue to get things out of that space. And then you're able to keep working and keep going. I love those practical tips. And tell us about the container method. Okay. So the container concept is something that, (laughs) I mean, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing, but 
at the same time, this is the concept that has made the biggest difference for me in my home. And it's also the one that I get emails about probably four times a week. I mean, like people saying, Oh my goodness, this blew my mind and it's changed everything. So I always assumed that I knew what containers were for because who doesn't know what containers are for, right? Um, I just knew that organized people loved baskets and buckets and containers. So, but the way I would use them is I would buy these containers, I would stick my stuff in them, and then I would still have stuff left over when I'd filled up the containers and I would go buy more containers and then buy more containers and then the containers wouldn't fit on my shelf. And I thought, okay, well, I need a bigger house. You know I mean? Like that's just how my brain goes. And I thought, you know, I'm doomed I don't know why this doesn't work for me the way it does for other people. And then I was decluttering one day talking to myself because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And I was like container. And I realized the root word of container is to contain, which is like a limit. You know, it's the boundaries. And I started viewing containers as boundaries, as limits instead of as, you know, a place to put things. And when I started looking at it that way, it changed everything because then I went from, I've got a thousand crayons. How many buckets do I need for these thousand crayons to I've got a bucket. Mm. And so I'm going to put my favorite crayons in there first. And when it's full, then I know which crayons to get rid of because I put my favorite ones in there first. So I already know that the ones that are not in there are the ones I don't like as much. And that shifted something in my brain and let me stop looking at every single item in my home as a value judgment, because that's what I used to do. I would look at a crayon and I would go, well, does this crayon have value? Of course it has value. You know, broken crayons still color. We all know that, right? You know, I'm like, so I would look at these things and I would try to assess the value of each thing. And instead I said, okay, what fits in this container? Then it wasn't me having to decide if something had value. It was just a matter of this is the space that I have. This is how much will fit in it. It's not me. It's the container. You know, I don't have to make that decision anymore. The container makes that decision of how much I can keep. And so, and then I started looking at every space in my home as a container. So, you know, how many containers, how many plastic containers can I fit on this shelf without it getting out of control? And when I started looking at it that way, it's like, oh, okay, well, I can't keep everything like I always had before. I just kept thinking I needed to find a better organizing system to actually be able to keep everything when in reality, I needed to accept the limits of the space that I had and get rid of everything that didn't fit. And that was just really freeing, you know, and then I started looking at each room as a container, you know, it can only fit so many shelves in a room and still be functional where I used to just think, well, another shelf is going to solve my problems. Oh, I just need another shelf. I need another shelf. Then I started looking at my whole house as a container. And mm. I also saw my family as deserving space in that container. So it's not just about how much can I fit inside this space, but I need to give my family the space to move around easily and do the things that they need to do. So the dining table if we want to eat there, then I can't have that be my sewing table. You know what I mean? Oh, this so, is so good. Yeah. So it, it just kind of carried its way through the whole entire house. And I mean, I've written a whole lot about this concept because it is, it's just mind blowing, you know, and it's funny to me how, like when I speak, I will get questions, you know, I'll take questions at the end and I warn them ahead of time. I'm like, just so you know, I'm probably going to answer every single one of your questions with well, it all comes down to the container concept because mm -hmm. ultimately once I fully understood that containers are limits and that every space in my home, every sock drawer, every 
closet rod, every single thing was a limit, a container that I just needed to declutter down to the limits of those container, that container. Once I realized that it affected every single decluttering decision that I make and made it easier, tons easier once I grasped that concept. That is so powerful. Now on the containers, and I'm sure this is just room by room and house by house. Do you personally have a certain size of container that you're using for different things? Or does it just depend on what space you're working with? Well, I think when I say the container concept, that's why it's so important, you know, that I make it clear that it's a concept because instead of like, I don't go buy containers unless I have lived with a decluttered space for long enough that I know exactly what kind of container will work there. So instead I look more at this dresser that I already have in my room or chest of drawers or whatever you want to call it. That's my container. Okay. So I need to declutter my clothes down to where they fit inside of those drawers when they're all clean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just um, how it used to be before I had laundry under control. But, you know, if all the clothes are clean, I can only have as many clothes as will fit inside these drawers. Gotcha. And anything that doesn't fit has to go. So I put my favorite things in the drawer first Mm. and the drawer has to actually be able to close. And um, if I put my favorite things in there first, then it's easy because I'm like, oh, well, I already know what's my favorite. And then, you know, that's in there. So as far as like buying containers, it's pretty rare that I do that or that I recommend it. It's more, you know, because most people who struggle with clutter have a whole lot of containers in their house already. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, They've already been collecting containers thinking that was going to solve their problem. So instead, you know, your TV cabinet or whatever that you have, that's your container. So declutter your DVDs or whatever it is that you have down to the point where they all fit inside of that. And anything that doesn't fit has to go. I love that because I have a playroom full of containers that I, to be honest, I couldn't tell you what's in them, you know, because it's easy just to open a lid and throw things in and, you know, walk away from it. So that's so powerful. Now, I know people want to learn more about, you said you've written a lot on this. Where's the best place for them on your website to find if they want to read more in detail about that concept? Well, um, so I have a decluttering tab on my website, even though I would say like 60% of my site is about decluttering. But, you know, I do have two books and... The second one, Decluttering at the Speed of Life, is specifically about implementing this concept through your entire house and using it in the whole, like helping other people declutter and using the container as the bad guy, not you. So, I mean, it that is probably your most succinct instructional guide for that. But if okay. you go over to the site, you're going to find a lot about that as well. Okay. At eslobchemschlean.com. I'm sorry. Did I ever say what my site was? <laughs> no, that's okay. But I'll yeah. put it in the show notes and again at the end. So if you guys okay. are driving while listening to this, don't worry. It's always there for you. And your your site is easy to remember too. So what tips do you have for managing laundry day? Oh, goodness. Okay. So I'll give you the short version, but I'll tell you that it was a long process for me to get this figured out. I mean, basically... The vast majority of organized people recommend one load a day. That did not work for me. Like I could not do it. I mean, the whole first six months of me, what I call my deslobification process on my site, I was trying to do that. And I was trying all these ways to try to remember to, you know, change the laundry over and finish a load every day. And I could not do it. Because I would forget about it until the next morning when it was time to start another load. And then I would have to rewash the load from the day before because it was starting to smell, you know. So I 
do a laundry day. And I know that people resist this, but the, the issue is that the never endingness of the mundane housework stuff is what just, I can't stand. I mean, like it's, it's the thing that I've had to just struggle with and get over and analyze and say, okay, there are some things that just have to be done every day. Well, laundry is one of those things that yes, it's something that's ongoing, but by doing a laundry day, I am able to tackle it as a project and I love projects. I hate day-to-day stuff. So when I tackle it as a one day thing, then I have six days of the week where I don't have to feel guilty about laundry Mm -hmm. and my family has clean clothes every day. And, you know, I know it's going to happen again the next Monday. And so that's a really short version of it, but, um, I can give you a link to a post where I kind of go through my whole process of how I came to this point. Um, and then I also have two chapters in my first book on laundry, which is funny because my um, editor was like, um, this is the longest chapter in the whole book. Can we divide it into two? (laughs) So we did a chapter of this is my process. And these are all the answers to the reasons why you don't think this will work for you because it it really, here's the main thing I have to tell people on laundry day is try it. If you have not been able to find a laundry routine that works, try it, but you have to give it three weeks because the first week of laundry day is like everything that has been put off again and again and again, because it didn't make it into those emergency loads. So it's going to take you, it could take you the whole week to do laundry day, but you're still looking at it as a project. And then anything that your family started wearing on that first day that you did laundry, that's for next week's laundry day. You know, so even though it might take you six days to do it. You know, when you get back around to Monday, if that's your laundry day, do laundry day again. And that's the week where you're going to experience, oh, this is one week's worth of laundry. I didn't know what one week's worth of laundry was because I was always so behind on laundry. You know, then that third week, you get to experience what it's like to have done one week's worth of laundry in a day. And then also you haven't had to do laundry for a week. And then you, then you really understand the benefits of how this would work. And if you, I mean, if, if one load a day works for you, then that's absolutely what you need to do. I mean, just whatever, whatever works, but if it doesn't work for you, laundry day will. Yeah. I do that as well. Just because of that same thing. When you feel like you're constantly doing the same thing all week long, it almost feels like it wears you out more than just knocking it out in one day is. So I love exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So as people are listening to this, it is New Year. And I would love for you just to maybe give something that would be a good New Year's goal for someone that I, I have mixed feelings about New Year's resolutions, to be honest, because I love that people are starting afresh. I love looking at the new year and asking God for a word for the year. But I also don't like to take the value away from every day as a new beginning. (laughs) You know, I don't have to wait until next year to start over if I mess up by the end of January. But, um, you know, if there's something maybe small that might be something if somebody said, yeah, you know, this is the year I would like to get my home in order. What's something that they could maybe make their goal? Well, again, I'm going to say just declutter. And instead of thinking I'm going to get organized this year, take that energy that you have. That's me as I'm like, I have the energy right now, but I know from experience, it's going to fizzle, you know, like, and that's just reality. And so then when I was thinking organizing, that's what would keep me from getting started. Well, it's going to fizzle eventually anyway, where if you focus on decluttering and actually getting stuff out of the house completely, then you can go ahead and use that energy and get stuff out of the house and then it's done. 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like we were talking about with laundry day is, you know, what actually has a lasting effect. Decluttering has a lasting effect. Other stuff is going to come into your house, but that stuff that's gone, it's gone and it's done. And it's kind of like, I recommend that people harness that energy to focus on getting stuff out of the house because that's, what's going to make all those other, you know, being more organized and being, you know, keeping things under control and stuff, all that is going to be so much easier throughout the year with less stuff in your house. I love that. And what else do you recommend for when, and I know I'm a mom of three, so I get this a lot, when the little junk comes in that you know, oh yeah, that that I don't want to stay, all the little randomness that, you know, clutters up onto the counters, rather than me having to wait and do decluttering later, is there a process you have for when things come in that you know you don't want to stay? So the process of decluttering helps me view every new thing that comes in the house differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and it helps my kids as well to be like, okay, if I've gone ahead and tackled where that stuff has built up before, you know, I use this decluttering energy and I tackle that stuff. Then it's like, I see all those little things as future clutter when I see them. And so then it's, you know, much more likely they're going to go straight into the trash or straight into the recycling or whatever, straight into the donate box. And, and also to remember that, you know, a big part of my, thing that I had to learn. That's also what I teach others is, um, you know, that's why my second book is decluttering at the speed of life, meaning working it into whatever amount of time that you have. And for some people, they call this tidying, but for some of us, we see a pile and it looks overwhelming. You know, even though, yes, that pile's only been there for a week since people brought things in from Christmas or whatever. So my five steps that I use work on any level of clutter or whatever. So I just go ahead and use those decluttering steps to get me through that. And a lot of times the first three steps, which are trash, easy stuff, and my two decluttering questions, you know, those like take me through all of that little stuff. You know what I mean? Like I don't necessarily have to implement those final steps, but they'll get me through that. But it gives me the tools to be like, I don't know what to do. Okay. I'm just going to grab a trash bag and I'm going to throw away trash. Okay. I'm just going to put the easy stuff in its home. Okay. I'm just going to make decisions on these things, whether they actually need to stay, you know, so giving yourself permission to use the tools that you need to use to actually make it happen in whatever amount of time that you have. All right. And any advice on keeping the mom car decluttered? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question I get all the time. And I'm like, no, yeah. because if I said anything and then you saw my car right now, you'd be like, Oh my word. Yeah. yeah. That's a struggle that I still have big time. I have made huge, 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 huge strides in my home, but the car is, I mean, obviously, you know, it's the routine of throwing away trash and taking stuff aside and all that. But yeah, yeah, I haven't, I don't have that figured out yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is a, yeah. Um, Okay. And then what about, and this is our last question, then I'll have you you tell everybody where they can learn more about you and get some of your books. But um, this final question I have for you is one that I think every person has at least one person in their household that is a sentimental person. And I know one of my daughters is this way, you know, wants to keep a ticket stub from the movie we went to last week, you know, those types of people. So how do you deal with decluttering when you do have someone who has emotional ties to objects? Well, it all comes down to the container concept. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, really that, that is the answer. And the beauty of the container is that it allows for emotions, but it also 
doesn't give in to emotions. So the container concept works so well when I'm helping someone else declutter because I say, okay, well, this is the space that we have, either this drawer or this bucket or this shelf or whatever. This is, you can absolutely keep that movie ticket step. That is perfectly fine. But you can't keep everything. This is the space that we have available for your room to stand or control. This is the space that we have available for you to keep all these random things. So you can totally keep that. But once it's full, once that container, that space, that drawer, that shelf, whatever is full, then if you want to keep it, you're going to have to get rid of something that's in there. And it's amazing how well the container concept works even with highly sentimental people. And I know this because I was the highly sentimental person. I mean, I wanted to keep it all because I was afraid I'd forget things or whatever. So it's like, I can keep anything, but I can't keep it all. And so when I say, yes, absolutely. Here's your container. Here's a special space that I have for you, for my husband. It's this, um, we kind of use it as a bedside table, but it's, you know, hollow on the inside. So we can just store stuff in there. Like, honey, this is your, you know, special place for your 1980s memorabilia, you know, from when you were in high school, like, this is a special place I have for you, put whatever you want to in there. But once it's full, then you'll need to get rid of anything that doesn't fit. So instead of it being a power struggle over whether I think you should keep this movie ticket stub, because I don't have the emotional attachment to it that you somehow do, that power struggle is gone. Mm. It's like, here's the container, the container's going to decide. So the container's the bad guy, not me. And most people, when they view it that way, are able to say, oh, okay. And, you know, I hear from moms all the time and I've experienced it too, that when you look at it that way, when you say, okay, this is the size of your bookshelf. So put your favorite books on there first, then they're able to get rid of the ones and identify the ones that they don't love as much because they can view this, you know, non-emotional space as being the limit for them. I love that uh, practical advice on that. Now, what do you think about, especially when it comes to memorabilia stuff, uh, storing things in the attic? Is that just another shifting around of clutter? Um, you know, if you have space in the attic and you're going to be able to get to it when you need it, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, I mean, you know, you and I both live in Texas and so attics are not practical for candles or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so there are considerations, but I don't have a problem with it as long as it doesn't keep me from doing what I need to do. You know, so for example, you know, I had some stuff. I just, I mean, like a couple of months ago, I found some of my theater teaching stuff up in the attic that I just hadn't been able to get rid of. And so I'm like, I don't need this now, but I'm going to put it up there. Well, I did need it. You know, it was 16 years later, I guess that I ended up needing it for auditions for my daughter that she was doing at her school. And, you know, so I, I was able to find it and that's fine. I would have been fine if I didn't have it, but you know, it, you can keep it as long as it doesn't keep you from being able to do what you need to do right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I wrote that question down, as you said a second ago, does it keep me from doing what I need to do? That's a great, right question to ask. That's, I love that. Okay. So let's wrap up our time today by you telling, um, you've talked a little bit about both the books you have, but tell us a little bit more about both of those. So how to manage your home without losing your mind is, uh, for the person who's just completely overwhelmed. So I talk in there a lot about the daily habits that I focused on and which ones stuck as the ones that make the biggest impact on my home. Like if I don't do these things, 
things get out of control. If I do these things, I can get control back and keep things under control. And I really, when I started, had no idea the impact that these simple little daily things would do. And so I go through that and the mindset challenges, you know, for tackling those things. And then I do talk about decluttering in that book, but then uh, decluttering at the speed of life is where I just dive super deep into decluttering. So into the mindset challenges, you know, for those of us who want to keep everything and who are extremely resourceful and extremely frugal and very crafty. And we're like, Oh, I could use that for something someday, you know, whatever, all those mindset issues that lead to clutter. And then I work through, I have my five-step process and then I work through the different areas of your home in that one. So, you know, dealing with working through the five-step process, but then also the specific challenges, you know, that people have in their kitchen or in their bedrooms or in their closets or whatever. And then I talk about, you know, helping different relationships in your life, you know, your older relatives or your children or your husband or friend. Um, and then I also go really deep into, um, grief and the sentimental, um, challenges of decluttering in there. Um, so yeah, those are my, those are my two books that I have. Um, and they're available paperback, audio, Kindle, Nook, whatever. Yeah. Well, and I'll be sure to post those uh, links in the show notes. But yeah, so if any of the stuff we talked about today, you're like, oh man, I really would love to know more about that. I I feel like almost everything we talked about, you definitely go deeper into in both of those books. And so um, you also have a five-day course, right? I do. It's called the five day clutter shakedown. Um, sometimes I refer to it as the five step clutter shakedown because I don't want people to think that you have to have five days to set aside for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is, so it's on sale right now. Uh, but yeah, it's it, basically, that's my video course where I go through my five step process and explain it. And then I also show you exactly how it works. So I actually, for the first time I have a YouTube channel, but I had never staged clutter before. I'd always just use my real clutter, (laughs) but I staged clutter for this, you know, so that we could, um, you know, so I could work through it and explain, you know, this is how the process works. This is how it, you know, how much better it gets on step one. And this is how you implement step two and all that. So, um, and then there's also like the, PDF transcripts of each video and the audio only files in case your internet's not um, great for video. But yeah. Awesome. Well, Dana, thank you so much again for coming on. If there, if people want to connect with you online, where's the best place they can find you? A slobcomesclean.com. Okay. And you're, you're a slobcomesclean also on Instagram and Facebook, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for all of the practical tips. I know I am inspired right now. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. This is awesome. So appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Didn't you just love Dana's heart behind decluttering as well as all the practical tips? That container concept has completely shifted how I view things in my own home. Be sure to grab her books and her five-day clutter shakedown course which is on sale in the month of January. The links to all of those things are in today's show notes. And don't forget that Cultivate What Matters is offering you all 10% off your one-time purchase in the month of January when you use code REALTALKRACHEL. Grab your planners and journals and be intentional with your time this year. That is all for today's episode. I will see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.